Welcome to Cracking and Fracking with your host, me, Thomas Waters. Our podcast will tackle credit trends, ratings and outlooks in the oil and gas and chemical space, as well as insightful analysis on industry trends and market dynamics. Hello again, everyone, and thanks for listening to another edition of Cracking and Fracking. You know, after a recent road trip uh, we met with oil and gas investors, we thought it might be a good idea to hold this podcast and, and go over some of the key topics and some of the questions that came up. Today's podcast is really going to center on the upstream space. Stay tuned for a future podcast where my guest will be Mike Grandi, who will cover the midstream and refining sectors. So with me today are two of our team leaders, Paul Harvey and Karen Denny Kiley. Uh, you know, welcome, guys, and thanks for joining. Thank you, Tom. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us, Tom. All right. So let, let me start off and, and talk a little bit about maybe the current state of affairs in the space. Um, look, there's, there's no doubt the macro environment has been incredibly supportive of credit quality. And, and it's enabled a lot of companies to you know, not just generate strong credit metrics, but to actually pay down debt. And that should enable them to you know, withstand uh, future inter- industry cycles. Um, now, for oil, we saw prices come down uh, lately, and that's largely reflecting some concerns about a global recession. Uh, but by and large, prices are still pretty healthy uh, in terms of credit and for issuers and the ability to pay down debt and, of course, reward shareholders. Now, even, even if you go into recession, when you look at some of the current inventory levels globally and you look at you know, the likelihood of Russian barrels coming offline due to sanctions, and of course, maybe you know, Chinese demand ultimately is going to improve as they come out of these lockdowns, you know, it's, hard, it's hard to envision prices declining to the lows that we had, we had seen in previous cycles. Our sister company, S&P Commodity Insights, uh, they have stated that in a, sort of a mild uh, recession scenario, considering these factors, um, they don't see oil prices really dipping below $70 for you know, a sustained period of time. Furthermore, uh, it isn't, there really isn't a lot of spare capacity out there to speak of, particularly you know, with OPEC, uh, which usually has most of it. So the outlook looks pretty good for, for oily-based credits. In terms of natural gas, there's no doubt the geopolitical events that have occurred in Russia has been driving the TTF, uh, as well as global prices, which, for lack of a better word, have been piggybacking on the TTF price. When you think of Europe, you know, right now, energy security has been trumping energy transition. There's been ongoing news of Russian, you know, gas supply curtailments. And of course, we had the recent news of another maintenance issue at the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. And that has only stoked the uh, TTF price higher. Europe's been in a race, I guess, uh, to replenish its gas inventories by uh, November 1st. And what they're trying to do is to get that back up to 80% of capacity before the winter season. And at last look, they actually did a pretty good job. And they were about 67% or so of inventory capacity, largely because a lot of LNG has been diverted from Asia. uh, And some of that's because Chinese demand has been down. And we've had a, a pretty strong concerted effort out of, of Europe to, you know, actively lower demand for, uh, on gas. Now, so what we can expect for gas prices going forward is obviously we're going to have a high degree of volatility, but the, the supply and demand factors will continue really to support the higher prices. So with that, I'm going to turn it to our guests and ask them uh, to talk about some of the credits that they were asked about during the roadshow. Karen, let me start with you. Continental. Looks like Harold uh, went out. Is going to take the company private. Uh, he's raised four billion dollars of debt, but we we had affirmed the rating. If you got a moment, maybe you can talk about why we did that. Uh, sure, Tom. Thanks. 
Yeah, that's certainly been the biggest question that we're getting on Continental Resources these days is this take private offer from Harold Hamm and his family. Now, if you remember, um, Hamm and the family already own 83% of the company, so they're just buying in the remaining 17%. Um, the offer is out at $70 per share. It equates to about $4.3 billion, and we don't yet know how that will be financed. We have assumed it will be all debt, um, you know, to be conservative. And if that is the case, and that's all put on Continental's balance sheet, um, the important thing is ratios would still remain very strong with FFO to debt well above 100%, debt to EBITDA below one times, which is, you know, more than appropriate for an investment grade rating. Today it's rated triple B minus stable. Um, other questions that come up with the uh, kind of the take private offer is, will this, you know, signal a change in the strategic direction of the company? Um, you know, we think really that's unlikely to change much from, from where it's been over the past couple of years. As I mentioned, Harold Hammond and the family already own 83%, so they're already effectively controlling the company. Um, so we don't expect a dramatic change, although it will be interesting to see once once there are no kind of public investors involved, you know, will the company actually you know, ramp up drilling and ramp up uh, production, which has been something the, uh, the publics have been hesitant to do given investor pressure. Um, we'll also keep an eye on financial policy, as I mentioned before. You know, well, to date, you know, dividends have been fairly conservative and modest. We don't expect a big change there either, but that's something we'll keep an eye on going forward. Um, the other thing, you know, it, you know, being private will obviously limit equity market access. Um, but Continental has not relied on equity issuance in the past to fund its uh, its its spending, so we don't think that will be a, a big change for the company either. So overall, we, we actually did put out a bulletin you know, stating that we you know, evaluated the kind of potential of $4.3 billion of additional debt, and, and really that will have no impact on, uh, on the rating. All right. Thanks, Karen. Uh, another one for you. Uh, Chesapeake, um, you got a lot of questions about you know, what's it take to get to an investment grade, you know, really you know, solid balance sheet, et cetera. Um, they got a ways to go yet, but maybe just uh, maybe maybe talk about some of the key points on what's driving uh, Chesapeake ratings. Sure, Chesapeake's kind of an interesting story. Um, the rating right now double B minus with a positive outlook. Um, they've been very vocal on their target of getting to an investment grade rating. Um, I think they want that to kind of help facilitate LNG exports from their kind of growing natural gas positions in the Haynesville and Appalachia. Um, and, and certainly, you're right, their ratios are very strong today, uh, post-bankruptcy, and we just want to make sure that these will be maintained going forward. Um, the company emerged from bankruptcy back in February 2021. It's not that long ago. And since then, they have been fairly busy on the acquisition front. They you know, made the Vine acquisition in the Haynesville in November of 21, and then the chief acquisition in early 2022. They've also sold their Powder River Basin assets uh, in the in the first quarter of this year, so they've certainly been doing a lot of portfolio management. Um, you know, some there was some, uh, you know, a slight bit of debt of uh, you know they were balanced acquisitions, but sl- some debt involved in the um, in both deals. We did revise the outlook to positive in January of this year, um, but basically, you know, based on the solid execution since emergence from bankruptcy, you know, the acquisitions and some growth on their asset base as well as, kind of importantly here, filling out um, the executive management team. They hired a new CFO and a new COO. Um, and so we, we do want to see you know, some track record with this new team and just to ensure that financial policy will remain 
conservative and, you know, importantly, that they'll spend within cash flows um, in terms of CapEx and shareholder rewards. Great, Karen. Thanks for that update. Paul, I'm going to give Karen a break. I got a question for you. All right. You got a lot of questions on this credit, Occidental. Uh, we did a recent rating action. We're upgrading the W plus. And of course, the question everybody's lips was, what's it take to get to investment grade? Maybe you can talk a little about what's going on there. Thanks. Thanks, Tom. Uh, first, I'll, I'll lead off with we just published a credit fact on Oxy, uh, basically talking about what it's going to take for them to get to investment grade and some other key factors for the credit. And we published that on Ratings Direct on July 25th, 2022. Now, directly to the question. Um, for an upgrade, we want to see Oxy sustain FFO to debt of 40, greater than 45% and debt to EBITDA below two times. That is somewhat less than what we typically want, more in the 60% and below one and a half times range. And, and that gets to Oxy's strong business risk, um, which you know is, will help it in the long term, just exposure to oil and just the higher profitability, just a strong business. Um, that said, in terms of progress towards that, um, they did a $2.8 billion tender in the first quarter. They did another $3.8 billion tender in the second quarter. Um, so they've addressing the debt. Uh, but one of the key factors is that they have about 15 billion of debt adjustments, around 13 billion once you net cash. Um, and the bulk of that is the 9.8 billion of preferred stock they've got. So they do have a, a, a bit to go in terms of reducing book debt, but they are making the right moves. They are paying down debt, but it seems as though it's not a near-term jump to investment grade from what we can say. Thanks, Paul. Apache, um, looks like they've done some things to improve their asset retirement obligations. Um, w plus, what does it take to get to investment grade? So on Apache, this is one where we want to see FFO to debt sustained above 60%. And really above 60% on our long-term price assumptions of $50 oil and 275 gas. So Apache has been making a lot of progress. They repaid about 1.1 billion of debt through a tender in the first quarter of 22. And in the second quarter, they've preliminary reported a repayment of 605 million uh, on their revolver. So they're making good progress. Um, in terms of the adjustments, one thing to note is that they've covered around 75% of the Fieldwood AROs that were put back to Apache, and they're covered through a trust and bonds. So that reduced that liability uh, quite a bit, as you, you mentioned earlier, Tom. But again, Apache is making the right moves. I think we want to be sure that they're going to have a balanced financial policy that's going to stress a strong balance sheet with shareholder returns. We don't want to see any companies crossing over all of a sudden coming back, either because of low prices or a very aggressive shareholder return policy. Thanks, Paul. Thank you very much. Uh, Karen, let's go back to you. So the next credit, Karen, um, you didn't get a lot of questions on, on the roadshow about it, but you certainly got a lot of questions after you lowered the rating of triple C minus uh, from triple C. And I'm talking about uh, Transocean. 
maybe you could take a moment just to share, you know, the questions that were asked by investors and and, and some of the feedback and why we took the action. Absolutely. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, we lowered the rating triple C minus a couple weeks ago. Um, it's definitely turned out to be a much more kind of asked about rating action than than I had anticipated, particularly regarding the timing of the rating action. Um, it's important to note that our call here was not due to any specific debt restructuring plan that we were evaluating, but really more of an alignment of factors that we felt would kind of motivate the company to act on its debt burden, you know, sooner rather than later. And the factors include, um, well, first, the fact that they've got significant debt maturities over the next 12 months, about $650 million, plus another $900 million the following year. They've got net CapEx payments on their two new build drill ships of about $430 million for the remainder of this year. Then they've got a credit facility maturing in June of 2023 um, that we believe will likely be reduced, although it is undrawn. Um, and then four, kind of the interesting one here is that market conditions are actually you know, seem to be improving somewhat. Um, in fact, the company recently announced you know about six hundred fifty million in new backlog added um, over the second quarter. Why I think that's kind of you know kind of maybe not intuitive is we believe the company will actually take advantage of these improving market conditions to go out and try to restructure its balance sheet or um, do some creative refinancing. Um, the only difference between triple C minus and our prior rating of triple C is really the time to expected default or select selective default, which we now think would happen, you know, more likely to happen within the next six months as opposed to the next 12 months um, because of the factors I mentioned above. We only consider a debt restructuring for Transocean as tantamount to default if it offers debt holders less than the original promise on the securities. If, you know, if they did a payback in cash at par, um, it would just, you know, it could just be considered a straight redemption, not necessarily a selective default, depending on the terms. But hopefully I answered all the questions. Those were definitely the ones that I got a lot of um, right after the uh, the downgrade. Karen, last one for you. Um, this has to do with Hess. They're actually triply minus. They're actually an investment grade. But you do get some questions about can they be upgraded and what you're going to want to see for that to happen. Sure. Yeah. I mean, Hess is a pretty interesting story. They've um, kind of done very well on their uh, their project with ExxonMobil and Guyana, which seems to get bigger every time they report earnings. Um, I think just recently they announced two additional discoveries offshore Guyana, which add to the 11 billion barrels of already discovered resource. Um, however, you know, our upgrade trigger is really going to be based on, um, as Paul was mentioning earlier, a sustained FFO to debt above 60% and positive uh, discretionary cash flow. So along with this big discovery in Guyana came a lot of capital spending. And so as other companies were paying down debt and, and, and generating a lot of cash, um, Hess was actually spending this cash on developing this, this gigantic resource. So they've been DCF negative for quite, you know, for the last couple of years. That should be changing over the next uh, 12 months. So we'll keep an eye on that. And then it will be a question of financial policy and how conservative they'll be on the, on the financial policy side. They have stated that they plan to um, do shareholder rewards, I think primarily share buybacks, of up to 75% of excess cash flow, which is after CapEx and uh, debt maturities. Um, so that's something we're certainly keeping an eye on. At this point, we don't um, expect the company or we don't see the company actually maintaining FFO to debt above 60% in, at, under our long-term deck. 
um, and positive DCF under a long-term deck of uh, $50 uh, WTI and 275 gas, but that's something we'll, you know, obviously continue to monitor. As of right now, you know, the, the rating is triple B minus uh, stable outlook. Thanks so much, Karen. Uh, Paul, let's maybe switch over to you with some gassy names. Um, Antero, it's come a long way. W plus, you know, balance sheet looks pretty good. They got the benefit of the liquids. What are we thinking about for investment grade here? Uh, yeah, they've come a very long way, pretty much full cycle. So Antero, back in February, we raised the rating to double B plus with a stable outlook. Um, it's it's going to sound like a boring story, but yeah, we want FFO to dead well above 60% and sustained. We also want to see sustained free cash flow for them. They're still uh, doing the right things. They repaid debt, about $383 million of debt in the second quarter and about 550 million of debt year to date 2022. But I think wanna see just a consistent policy from Entero. They've gone nearly full cycle. I think they were probably B minus at the depth of 2020 uh, from double B earlier, and now they're up to double B plus. So it's been a wild ride for them and natural gas prices. and we just want to see a little more time they're doing the right things but um a little more time with them okay great paul and the last one uh southwestern maybe a quick update what's going on yeah so southwestern um has closed its acquisitions of indigo and gep haynesville so it's added diversity away from the marcellus into another gas play again similar in january we upgraded them to wb plus stable we want to see FFO to debt sustained above 60%. And for Southwestern, um, we're looking for, again, a balanced um, use of cash flows. So in the near term, they can use cash flows to pay off the balance on their credit facility, which is $174 million. And they also have a term loan B do 2027 for 550 million, which they can use cash flow to pay off. And I think we are looking for both of those uh, debt balances to be significantly lowered before we'd consider a, a move to investment grade. Terrific. Well, that's all I have for you guys today. And uh, I want to thank you both for joining and providing some really excellent and insightful commentary. Uh, this concludes another edition of Cracking Fracking. Until next time. If you have any comments or thoughts on today's topics or future topics that you would like to learn more about, send me an email to thomas.waters at spglobal.com. Thanks for listening to Cracking and Fracking, our U.S. corporate ratings podcast. I'm Tom Waters. See you next time.